0: Back in on Canuck Central, it's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah here in the Kintex studio. This hour brought to you by Brevo. Brevo provides convenient cloud-based access control systems from your mobile device. For any industry, go to lp.brevo.com slash Canada for a smart demonstration. Let's bring in our next guest. He is... Uh, one half of Donnie and Dolly. It is Don Taylor. He joins us every Monday here on Canuck Central. Donnie and Dolly, ten to noon, of course, on Czech TV. Thanks for this, Donnie. Uh, nothing but Andre Kuzmenko talk around these parts, hey.
1: Yeah, it has been for a while, I guess. Just such an such a incredibly intriguing story and frustrating for him and a lot of Canuck fans as well.
0: And the team. It's uh it's sort of interesting, you know, like um Jim Rutherford hasn't really spoken much in season since the Canucks pretty much said uh, Patrick Alvin is going to be taking over many of these duties last year. Uh, but for him to come out and talk about Andre Kuzmenko in a piece with Ian McIntyre, I mean, that to me, it kind of just pours uh, gasoline on the fire a little bit.
1: Yeah. You know, obviously they feel it's a very, very serious subject and and, and rightfully so they're paying a lot of money and big expectations with him and, I think it 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 speaks to the seriousness of it that Jim Rutherford, the grand poobah, is <laughs> yes. uh, is is commenting on it.
2: Well, and I think that's the that's what you mentioned. The, I think this is something that they do take seriously, and it's a narrative I think they want to control. And I think the question ultimately comes down to. Is somebody willing to give Vancouver the price to move him? Because based on his comments, he said, Hey, you know, I'm not going to put myself in a position, which means there's always a price for a player. And the question is for a guy who currently has four goals, can Vancouver get that price?
1: Yeah. Um, wh- whatever they're thinking, it would be a lot less. Uh, you know, there's Last year was, you know, they, we're, we're, everyone's just wondering now who the real Andre Kuzmenko was. It, it's just such an intriguing, strange story. Um, you know if if a team wants them are they do they think they're getting the 39 goal guy or the four goal guy who apparently is in better shape than he was when he got 39 goals like who's the real Kuzmenko it's it's just a strange situation given that he's supposedly in the best shape of his life and yet can't put put the puck on the net and can't earn I I think maybe more importantly can't earn the trust of a really well-respected coach and uh, how marketable he is at this point? I I can't see his market value being very high at at, at this point. I think the four goals you know, overrules the thirty nine at this point.
0: Yeah, and uh, especially now that you're making five and a half sheets, uh, it's uh, it changes the conversation a little bit. And you know, the the tough thing for Kuzmenko now is um, you know Elias Petterson starting to come out of it, and he's looking pretty good with with Sam Lafferty and. You know that was that was his spot. Those were his rebound goals last year, and all of a sudden they're they're going to somebody else, and that somebody else is is really seizing that opportunity in Sam Lafferty.
1: Yeah, and he he looks good. He's got speed. Um, You know, adds an element to that line. Uh, Well, you know, McCabe is not exactly slow, but 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 Lafferty has more maybe edge, if I I can say that. And you know, it's 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 it's, he hasn't totally given up on him in that as an offensive threat, and in that. He does still have them uh, you know, on the power play, and uh, I don't. It's, he's been in and out of that first unit a bit, but I, I just they, they would completely lose him if they yanked him off both units. But it's just, uh, I just, uh, you know, I, I'm trying to think of something similar to this, and maybe something similar would be, although there was never 39 goals, would be Nils Hoatlander, mm-hmm. in that he's somebody that was in the doghouse and who's, who's managed to get out of it and, and resurrect things for himself and. I think the Hoaglander situation gives Canucks fans and the Canucks themselves hope that maybe something can happen from this real dark time for Kuzmenko because it was dark for Hoaglander and he's worked himself out of it.
2: And I think maybe that's the that's the most optimistic way of looking at it in terms of it working out internally and the coach being open-minded to it working out because we've seen with other players even dakota joshua who he challenged yeah uh, trust him in different situations so we, we know he gives them a chance again we just hope that's the case with kuzmenko here as well and that because turn- honestly the best case scenario here when you have him signed and you, this team needs more talent up front in terms of guys around patterson and, and jt miller that, that he works out isn't that the best solution that he just starts scoring goals again
1: yeah, because it's not really realistic to think that they're going to get much for him at this point, mm-hmm. you know, with, with that production and, and at that cost. And, you know, you said something there that's, uh, that, that's interesting about Dakota Joshua, and I think because he's, you know, managed to, um, you know, bounce back uh, after what happened at training camp. You know, we're talking, and, you know, Jim Rutherford, maybe not so much healthy, they're really honest with us, really honest with yeah. the media. Yeah. And I wonder if it's to a fault because, you know, Usually, teams disguise things when they might be thinking of getting rid of a guy. But these guys have come out and publicly criticized them, and maybe they feel that's the best way for the player themselves to work work out of their funk and stay with the organization. I'm not so sure it helps their trade value all that much.
0: No, and you know, I think this is um, this is probably one of Rick Tockett's uh, biggest challenges, I guess, since becoming the Canucks head coach. He hasn't really had to 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 deal with too much and here he is now dealing with the the 39 goal score from a year ago and having to healthy scratch him put him on the fourth line took him off the top power play unit for a time it's um you know as much as yeah I, I can understand people being like hey you can't turn a player into something he isn't Rick yep. Tockett also can't you know, hold certain players accountable and then not hold others accountable, right? Yeah. Like he's he's got a job to do and he's 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 doing it well for the way I've taken it so far. Hell, huh?
1: you know, I mean, it wasn't a, a scratch, but he did bench, he did bench J T. Miller.
0: You yeah. know, um, well, even Quinn's so, minutes were down on Saturday. He wasn't having a, yeah. a, a the greatest night, right? Yeah. You know, so yeah. he, he's done it with almost everybody.
1: Well, and then the, the thing that they can, and this is the other thing that adds, I guess, just things. We haven't seen here that you know I can remember for a long, long time, but you know you've got Kuzmenko who you you know came into the season really depending on. I mean, thirty nine goals is very, very impressive, and they're winning. You know, you know, by and large, right? Yeah. Uh, they're winning without him coming through, and it was somebody that they were depending. I would think fairly heavily on. So it's like okay, I, I'm 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 scratching this guy, and yeah, it looks bad for him, and you might wonder what I'm what I'm doing, but we're winning, so I'm I must be doing it's just something right. It's just it's kind of you know goes against everything that you know we've learned as Canuck fans. Usually, it's you know they they would scratch somebody like that and they'd lose, but you know he's you know really being hard on Kuzmenko, and they're winning. And again, it's just, it just a real strange and usual uh, situation, but gives us a lot to talk about on talk shows.
2: Uh, It certainly does. And, you know, there's there are a couple of newsworthy items over the weekend. And currently, I know Rick's been you know on top of the Ethan Bear thing since day one and, you know, uh, reported definitively today that uh, the Canucks are out of uh, the bidding in terms of landing the defenseman. And like Elliot mentioned, I know Rick mentioned, it looks like Washington could be that destination. What's your take on how the Ethan Bear situation unfolded and the fact that the Canucks, quote unquote, missed out on
1: him? Well, I think you know with the Ethan Bear situation, uh, you know we often in this market will criticize uh, the Leafs and Leafs fans and, and Blue Jays fans. You know anybody who's a free—they're going to the Blue Jays. They're going to the you know like, and I think the same thing happened with with Ethan. Bear. Well, he played for Vancouver. He's working out in in Kelowna. Um, Western, he's coming to Vancouver. There's no question. He's, he's coming. To, they need a right-handed defense, but there's no, there's 31 other teams in the league. And that's, that, that's the reality of the situation. Washington has the cap space, you know, with their LTIR situation with, with, uh, with Backstrom and Pats are ready. It's just more doable for them. I don't think it's really surprising. I think when you think about Ethan Bear as a right-handed defenseman, who was only going to cost you the contract. That was pretty exciting, and he'd been here before. Seemed like an obvious fit. But the reality is that the Canucks had competition for him, and apparently it wasn't just Washington. There were other teams involved as well. So this isn't really surprising. It just seemed like a fit, and people got really excited about it. But I'm not really surprised that he's not coming to, or it looks like he's not coming to Vancouver.
0: Yeah, and, you know, I, once they signed Nikita Zadorov, I guess you could sort of uh, sense this or well traded for Nikita Zadorov. you could sense that this maybe maybe was coming down the line the only argument you could have is well maybe maybe they should have held off on that and then just signed the player that was a free agent but you know they determined Zadorov was going to be a better fit for what they want to do and to be quite honest Donnie like I I can't disagree with that sentiment too much like to, to have another big defenseman that can bring defensive value to this team it it just it feels like it fits what this coaching staff wants to do more with this roster
1: I haven't been to the last couple of games, but um, just the people that I know that have been there, and of course, you know, you watch on television, you get a sense of size. But just, uh, I had a buddy of mine. This is really, you know, bad reporting, okay? But you know, <laughs> I heard this friend of mine say, you know, this guy I used to play beer league with, but he just said like he, he, the thought of Myers and Zadorov on the same blue line and watching them out there is like there's just no room. And that's mm-hmm. what Tockett, you know, going back to last year and his compliments towards Vegas, that's what he's wanted. I'm sure he's he, he's loving it. And you, you know, there's still an adjustment period for them for 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 the uh, the new players. And uh, that's what they. But just, just visually, and you know, anybody who's played hockey, you look up at guys like that. It's like oh, how am I going to get by this guy? Yeah. Not care what level you're at. You know, straight you've got like, two or three of them on the blue line. That that's and what Tockett wants and. And there, there is some mobility there. It's not like they, you know, they're they're terrible skaters and they can't handle the puck. They can, mm-hmm. and it's 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 pretty. And you throw in Hughes and Horanick, who are completely different, very effective, different styles, different size. It. I, I'm pretty sure this is what the coach wants. And last time I ch- checked, Rick Tockett seems to know 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 what he's doing when it comes to hockey.
2: He's done a pretty good job, and so has Adam Foote and Sergey Gonchar with that defense. And they can still obviously improve that defense. And, you know, I know Rick mentioned this today as well, but this is the sense I've also had, that if the Canucks are able to create a bit more cap space, they would certainly like to add another defender. And Chris Tanev would be an option in that case.
1: Yeah, and and the other uh, player that was mentioned uh, today is uh, Jalen Chapfield. Mm -hmm. So basically, if you used to play for the Canucks, there's a good (laughs) chance you're, you're coming back. Yeah. Uh, I guess maybe he's front of mind because Carolina was here on the on the weekend and we had Rod Bridimore on the show on Friday and he he raved about, about Chatfield too. So I believe he's getting between fourteen and fifteen minutes. And who's to say he hasn't improved, you know, playing in a tight defensive system like Carolina the last last couple of years. But yeah, I, I it it just sounds like they're not finished. You know, Zadorov's a lefty and I know people talk about players playing the wrong side. All the time, but I still think just get the feeling. Um, you know, Ethan Bear, look at the guys we're talking about Ethan Bear, Tannif, uh, Chadfield, all right, all right handers, and yeah, they're so valuable in today's National Hockey League. And that it just wouldn't surprise anybody if they went out and, and got another one. Injuries are going to happen because they, they need one.
0: Um, I, I guess the, the need for the rest of the season, and we know. Uh, their, their cap situation, they've got to open up cap space before they can go and spend it again. But uh, w- would you say the need is more for a forward or to add that uh, another right shot D to add to this group?
1: I'd, I'd go defense, but just because you look at their offensive stats, I mean, they're just, they're, you know, one of them. di am going to check
0: today and I apologize for that. But,
1: you know, the, their scoring goals, they're, yeah. they're right up there at the top. And uh I, I I think they feel their need and and especially when you look at you know, history that injuries are gonna to happen to defensemen and they feel that they need to improve their defensive depth. And the the one thing that also came out today is that we talk about that and and maybe this will have people rolling their eyes, but um they've been pretty happy with Noah Juleson lately. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's that's a maybe a bit of a surprising development. But when you look back to last year, there were no shortage of people who liked him with Quinn Hughes. So uh, is he the perfect hockey player? No, but he's, he is a righty. And so they're, 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 maybe that buys them some time until they get somebody. But I just think you just when it comes to defensemen, especially at crunch time, as you wind down towards the playoffs, you, I just don't think you can have enough quality defense because injuries are going to happen. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, the the point you made earlier about the coaching staff knowing what they're doing, and there was no secret. I mean, we all watched Noah Juleson struggle mightily, giving the puck away, clearly looking like he's outmatched and overwhelmed at the National Hockey League level. But, you know, the coach was always kind of praising him, still throwing him out there. And, you know, they gave him, instead of taking his ice time away, they held steady and started incrementally adding more responsibility to him. And instead of it, you know, instead of breaking the player, I, I think they've kind of built him back up again. And I think that goes a long way in kind kind of showing how they can connect with players emotionally and still get the best out of guys cuz it's clear he's a stop gap but instead of being frustrated and, and marginalizing that player they've seemingly got the best out of him.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of goes against with what we were talking about when it comes to Kuzmenko. Yeah. With the scratches and the reduced ice time. But but I think that I think more than anything Rick Tockett is I mean just you listen to him talk. He's very old school. And I think the thing he values more than anything is is work, is effort, work ethic. And you can say what you want about Noah Juleson, but that 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 work ethic is there. It's the same thing, um, you know, when he was in the top six with Phil Giuseppe, He he likes work ethic more, more than anything, and that's what maybe Juleson will give you. And I know they play different positions, and maybe this is a bad comparison, but that's something that Juleson will give you that Cosmequid doesn't always give you. And so, uh, from, from that's it sounds like a contradiction. I was talking about AB yeah. being patient with somebody like Juleson, but I just think that you know, at no point it's the same thing with Tyler Myers. Those guys try they, they, you you can't you can question their decision making, maybe even their skills, but their their work ethic is there, and it's not always there with uh, with, with Kuzmenko. And I, I I get the feeling that Tockett is a fan. I think he pulls for a guy like Noah Juleson. He wants him to do to do well because the effort is there. He's had some real down. I mean, this is a guy who was a first-round draft pick on the Montreal Canadiens, a local kid. And I think he pulls for him and he's going to give them chances.
2: Well, and, you know, to add to that point, too, you're right. Those guys work ethic. And, and you know, there are times, because Menko does work hard, too, right? It's not like he doesn't work yeah. hard. But I think it's also... There are non-negotiables they have. They mention the staples, and there are certain things you have to do. There's places you have to occupy. And I think, you know, as much as Juleson and Myers and those guys will make mistakes, they'll stick to their structure. They'll stick to their staples for the most part. And I think when you do that, the coach is going to give you a bit more leeway. So it always comes down to, yes, players making mis- there's a difference between making mistakes and skirting responsibility. And I think he holds guys accountable when they skirt responsibilities.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, and and maybe, you know, cause Michael has to look at some of these guys who don't have the skill level. He does and why are they being given this ice time? Why are they being given more rope? And I think it all comes down to effort. And I think I've said this before on the show, it's, it's when, when Rick talk, talks and he talks a lot about forechecking, he's for forechecking is effort. It's, it's just, it's just effort recognizing the situation and going for it. And doesn't feel that that Kuzmenko is there, and, mm-hmm. and 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 the players there are players on that team not as talented as, as Kuzmenko who are doing that sort of thing, and that maybe that includes uh, Hoglander, although he does have a lot of talent. But you know Lafferty, uh, uh, you know, there are players who just who are um, being given every chance in the world by the head coach because their effort level is just outstanding. They, they forecheck and they do the things he wants. He doesn't talk much. The one thing that talk, it does talk a lot about. And I haven't heard him talk um, about this when it comes to Kuzmenko, but, man, does he talk a lot about shift length. And if yeah. it's anything over 35, 40 seconds, he's, I think he's freaking out on the bench, and he'll, you know, he know—he has a hard time uh, forgiving uh, somebody. So I'm not sure if that's the situation with Kuzmenko, but, boy, talking values that a lot as well.
0: Uh, Donnie, we appreciate the time as always. And, Thanks for this. Any Anytime, guys. Lots of fun. There is uh, Don Taylor. Joining us here on uh, Canucks Central, and yeah, um, you know we've we've seen it. Uh, the Andre Kuzmenko shift like has probably yeah. probably paid in played into some of his uh, diminished ice time.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it, uh, it plays a part into it. Um, and when you look at the other guys too, and what the coach wants, and the types of things they value. And it brings us to Tyler Myers always, and I know yes. Gordy Locke on on Twitter the other night. I saw it, it was it was really funny. He was mentioning that you know uh, he had the giveaway game. It was, it was a Devils game. He's like, I hope this this stops all the talk from from Reach and Sad about perhaps the Canucks extending Tyler Myers. And and like I said, it's not even about whether I would do it or not, or whether Dan would do it or not. It's a possibility with the team, depending on whether he's willing to sign a team friendly. Shorter term extension, a couple of years or something, right? Because again, you look at why they keep him in the lineup, why they stuck with him, why the coach always praises him. He has traits. He is a righty as well that yep. they value. Yep. And when that's the case, when players and co- when coaches and teams value a certain player, usually it means they have interest in keeping players like that, right? Yeah. So, I think for Myers, you know, the, the reason why he doesn't come up in trade talk as much. It's because like, they genuinely like what he's doing right now and how he fits on the team. And is that going to be the case at the deadline? I think it'll really really depend on whether Myers is willing to sign a team-friendly deal. Yeah. And if he gets a big contract, if he thinks he can demand more money in the free agent market, which he surely could, then I think it's an easy decision. You move the player, and I don't think the organization would will, will think twice about it. But I do believe there is a number in which they would keep him at.
0: It's, uh, it is interesting with Myers. But at the same time, you know, like If you're being honest about it, yeah, he's had some bad games. That New Jersey one was a bad game. It was a bad game for a lot of players. He's had more good than bad lately, and uh, that's, um, that's at least something he's given this team. All right, let's quickly get to the Monday menu here on Canuck Central. Canucks uh, sizzling on their two-game win streak right now. On the menu today, who are the hot players for this team? Sam Lafferty. Three goals, two assists in his last four games. He's making Andre Kuzmenko an afterthought. On the menu of the first line in previous oh, games.
2: That's the positive. Yeah. Uh, the negative is: is he pricing himself out of Vancouver <laughs> with, with how he's going? And uh, I mean, it, and here here is the wider take: the Canucks are trading Kuzmenko to make room to keep uh, Sam Lafferty, Sam Lafferty <laughs> as a next winger for Elias Pettersson. Uh, I kid, I jest. Yes. But he's been fantastic. He's been stellar, and he's doing everything they want from him in that role. And the coach mentioned Rick Talka the other night. The, his his rebound goal, he said, that's a power forward move. Driving towards the net, there for the rebound, yeah, he, he that's a power forward goal. He loves the size, he loves the speed, and he threw in this at
0: the end. I hope he can stay there. <laughs> I hope he sticks. <laughs> what does that mean for Andre Kuzmenko? Well, he's got to start playing better, bottom line. Uh, also on the menu, Nils Hoaglander. This one pretty self-explanatory as uh, Nils continues to play pretty well and has... Not only done well enough to uh, earn a spot on the second line, he's holding down that spot on the second line lately. And uh, finally, this one is really cooking. You're not even going to
2: let me say anything about Niels Hoglander. I mean, did, did you, are you afraid of what I'm going to say about Niels Hoglander? No,
0: no, I'm not. <laughs> okay, but we'll, we'll we'll shelve it for the next segment, okay? Because we are running out of time. Uh, the uh, the playoff odds—they are truly hot right now. Ninety-three percent. Mm for the Vancouver Canucks. They're coming out of the kitchen, and they are being served piping hot. Canucks are headed yes. to the playoffs this year. Uh, simmering Elias Pettersson, he is uh, out of his return to kitchen phase and uh, into the heating up phase. Oh, you guys were ready. You were ready to
2: send him back to the kitchen last week, <laughs> and he's back to simmering this week. I'm glad he's back to simmering. He'll be on the menu by next week.
0: Uh, also simmering is uh, Noah Juleson. Is he simmering as much as Tommy Cutlets with the New York Giants? Yeah. I don't know. But Noah Julson is doing some good things these last couple of weeks, so he's heating up and has looked the part of a sixth defenseman, which is what his role is right now with this <laughs> yes. team. And returning to the kitchen, Andre Kuzmenko. Yes. <sighs> yeah, he's a, he's ice cold right
2: now. It's tough. It's tough. He's got <laughs> he's got to go back to get seasoned up and come back out again.
0: Yeah, when he passed up that uh, that shot yeah. in the first period on the power play, it was like. What, did you see some hair in your food? What's, like a, what? <laughs> what's going on here?
2: Well, I mean, he was teased with a goal that he couldn't put away earlier yes. with the paddle save on Ranta on the goal line. And I think yeah. that just drained his confidence. And Brady Shea
0: outmuscled him a little yeah. bit.
2: And I think he, it just drained his confidence. Like, yeah. if that doesn't go in, like, nothing's going to go in.
0: Uh, also, returning to the kitchen, Ethan Bear because he won't be a Vancouver Canuck. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. He's to, returning to the kitchen in Washington, apparently, allegedly. Looks like it's going that way, and the Canucks penalty kill—it's uh—it's been ice cold for a while now. It has. I will say this is kind of a harsh
2: inclusion because I thought they were actually really good against Carolina. Like they I, think were, it, I think it was the best PK performance uh, of all season. That,
0: did they give up a, a power play goal on Saturday? They did. Okay. They did. But Facts they killed off—they killed—they
2: killed off a five-on-three as well. And honestly, like that was the last power play. Yeah. They gave. I, I thought that was maybe their best power a PK performance of the season. Mm-hmm. Quinn Hughes only plays 10 seconds on the PK, but then he lets a seam pass go through. Yes. Uh, and, you know, obviously the goal happens. But outside of that, outside of that one mistake, I thought the PK was good. So I think this was a harsh. Like, I thought Pedersen was harsh last week. I think the PK is harsh this okay, week. Okay, fair enough.
0: <laughs> fair enough. I'm a tough grader. What can I say? Uh, <laughs> I was going to say something, but I'll just lay off. Uh, it's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. You are listening to Canuck Central. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People's Show with Bick Nizar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back in on Canuck Central. Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah in the Kintech studio. This hour of Canucks Central brought to you by Brevo. Brevo provides convenient cloud-based access control systems from your mobile device for any industry. Go to lpbrivocom slash Canada for a smart demonstration. A um, couple of uh, breaking news items from the NHL Player Safety Department. The NHL DPOS. Some punishment has been handed down. Suspensions. Uh, first I like one, those. Remember
2: those old Brandon Shanahan videos? They were great. Like yeah. the, the visuals were great, too. It was like jail cells. <laughs> yes. You know, doors sliding and stuff is what it sounded like.
0: Like They really thought of the production value of this, didn't they?
2: Oh, I mean, this is like a running man or something. <laughs> You're going to get these guys to compete and somebody's going to die in the end. Yes.
0: <laughs> so uh, two suspensions uh, handed out by the uh, NHL DPOS and uh, George Paros, who leads the department. David Perron suspended six games for cross-checking Ottawa's Artem Zub. Uh, This happened Saturday night after Dylan Larkin was knocked out unconscious on the ice. Perron didn't see what happened. He just turned, saw Artem Zub there, and went after him and gave him a cross-check to the head. So, can't do that. And he's gone six games.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, and the more I watch the Dylan Larkin stuff, I don't know what anybody did truly, like, atrociously wrong. Yeah. Like, I think it was like, okay, it was, but it, to me it was like a, a net front battle gone wrong, right? Yeah. Like, it, it didn't seem like anything overly
0: egregious. It, it really just looked like an unfortunate happenstance.
2: Yeah, like maybe, you know, somebody shoved their glove in somebody's face, but, I mean, that's nothing new in hockey. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's maybe slightly dirty in terms of roughing. Yeah, a little roughing, I'd say, I mean, yes. the, the a little battle roughing... with
0: with Larkin and, and Matthew Joseph is a, a battle that happens I don't know 100 times a game yeah. right it's a net front battle yeah and then when Larkin starts falling down yeah like okay yeah Matthew Joseph probably could have got a penalty his, his stick got a little high and caught Larkin in the head so maybe a cross-check penalty there or something yeah like I think that. maybe roughing or something because yeah. he hit him in the face like you know I don't but it wasn't anything like this is suspendable or, or, or egregious it wasn't egregious like I know Red Wings fans were pointing out that the Joseph was getting revenge for an earlier sucker punch from Dylan Larkin yeah. uh, back in his Joseph's Tampa Bay days. But I don't think what Joseph did ended up being the thing that knocked Dylan Larkin out.
2: No, it may not have been. But here, here's where I think officials in these situations don't get it right oftentimes. Why not just toss Matthew Joseph? Yeah. Even if you didn't see exactly what happened. Let's say it's a roughing, but within the rules, if you if you take a pi- minor penalty, which leads to an injury, it can be upgraded to a major. Right. So you can say it was a roughing gone wrong, led to an injury, it, eject him out of the game, right? So yeah. what happens, he gets tossed for the game, you get five. Do you feel like, hey, this guy, clearly there was something that ha- should have been a penalty, whatever, like he, he was taken care of. But... W- that may not have prevented what Perron did, though. No. So, so I don't think this whole talk of, like, if the officials handled this differently, maybe Perron— Like, Perron reacted in the moment. It happened so fast. And he took the wrong guy out. Like, there's yeah. really no defending Perron. No. There isn't. Like, if it was Matthew Joseph he went after, again, not defending him, but it's like, well, he went after the guy that was there in the battle. Like, Artem Zub but, uh, did nothing wrong.
0: And also, like, just if you're going to challenge somebody, challenge them. Don't yeah. cross-check them to the
2: head. 100%. I mean, he honestly, I think six games is light. Yeah. I think he got—and it. it's because he has a great reputation as David Perron.
0: Yeah, you know, and I know and, players say this all the time. You know, even if you don't see what happens on the ice, if one of your star guys is down, you just look up, and whoever's in the area, just you grab just him. go and grab him. Yeah. And that's, grab that's
2: what David Perron did. But don't cross—but also, like, it was, he was really defensively. Because, I mean, Zub's, like, pointing towards the bench Zub, trying to get Zub help. Zub was actually
0: trying to get, like, somebody to come on and the And he's
2: completely—like, he's so disengaged from any action or anybody yeah. around him that it's a really cheap shot at him. You know what I mean? Like— um, but nonetheless, like I understand why Perron was upset. But you can't go cross-checking <laughs> random people in the face.
0: So uh, Perron gone six games. He could appeal. Maybe he will appeal. We'll go to uh, Gary Bettman. And then if he tries to appeal that, then an independent arbitrator. But by that time, you might have already been out the six games. The only thing you'd be trying to get back is whatever money you're forfeiting with the six-game suspension. The other suspension is Eric Branson suspended one game under rule 46.2 aggressor for an altercation with Florida's Nick Cousins. This was um, honestly like I watched the Cousins hit on good Branson like <laughs> so many times because yeah. the way good Branson goes down and then immediately gets up like he's the undertaker or yeah. something and goes after <laughs> Nick Cousins <laughs> it's pretty comical. It's so funny, but uh, he didn't stop there. He still felt uh, Nick Cousins de- deserved to get a little bit more. So he went after him later on again in the game. And uh, really gave him the business. Then Cousins just completely turtled, as if he was uh, Claude Lemieux taking punishment for Chris Draper. And uh, that uh, that uh, that's earned good Branson a, a one game suspension.
2: Yeah, I think the suspension is harsh. To be honest, um, I mean you can't go punching guys, I guess. Whatever, right? <laughs> like, I guess. Suppose so he just you like to... straight up tackled him and then fed him. Yeah, it's harsh. <laughs> you know? The reason I say it's harsh is because it's it's officials' fault. Yeah, why did you didn't you toss? Should have tossed Nick Cousins? Why not toss? Like, yes, you can look at it and you can you can galaxy brain it and say, well, it's technically nothing more than a two minute penalty, but it's dangerous. It's bad. You know, it's gonna heat, take up the pressure in the game. Why yeah. not toss him? There's Why not, not a... give a ten minute misconduct or something? You know what I mean? Like, or, like you could have done. You could handle that so many different ways and how you handled yeah. it, and that was obviously gonna drew, draw the ire of the opposition even more. And it's a dangerous play just because if Gabranson was injured on that play, there's. Do you think they reduced that penalty? Um. Do you,
0: do you think they don't give the five minute major? Oh, they they definitely give the five-minute. 100%. Minutes. Like if Goodbranson stays down, yeah, and pretends to be hurt, it's like seriously hurt, it takes a timeout, you know, goes to the goes to the room yeah. for five minutes or whatever, and then comes back out onto the bench after he's recollected his thoughts. It's a five minute five in a game, and, and Cousins is out, hundred percent. But because Goodbranson is, and that's why there's a weird standard of, of how it's officiated, because I I don't think that. I don't think that an injury should, whether or not there's an injury, should reduce a like a, an infraction, right? Like the infraction is the infraction, mm-hmm. whether there's a serious injury or not. Um, maybe you increase the infraction because there is a heavy injury on the play, but I don't think you should limit that five minute major. I mean, it's it's a bad hit from behind in a yeah. very dangerous spot that we've seen thousands of players get hurt in the past. You just don't want to see that hit. And especially when there's been so many other instances in it of the of this incident in the NHL over the last couple of weeks with Eric Robinson and you know there was one with uh, Evander Kane that went uncalled. Yeah. Connor McDavid yesterday against New Jersey had a, an uncalled hit from behind in the corner. So it's something, you know, consistency wise has to be done. Like um Consistency ultimately is is what matters. So
2: yeah, well, there's always lack of consistency. You see it with all sports too. I mean, every sport thinks their team, uh, their sport has the worst officials. Yes, you want you know, NFL fans will live and well, die by that. Well, last night's NFL game exactly. is perfect, 100%. Kadarius
0: Tony gets called for the offside on the final play of the game, and as right. Dan Orlovsky greatly pointed out today, after watching every single Kadarius Tony snap, he was offside like six times last night, and it was never once called until that play where. He eventually scores the touchdown. Yeah, after the the Travis Kelsey lateral.
2: Yeah, I mean, and we know again inconsistency. Yeah. You you don't call it all game. You don't set you, by not calling it. You set a standard now. Yeah, and then you all of a sudden stop that standard and instead a new one in the fourth quarter of the game. Yeah, I have no issues with you calling it, but like, why were you letting it go for the first three and a half quarters of the game? Yeah, you know consistency. And NBA fans, are the, there's the, I forget his name now, the official with uh, Chris Paul, that mm. that are always fighting each other and, and everything, going Scott at Foster. it. Scott Foster. Scott Foster, there we fo- go. Thank you. That's Ben Bastian chiming in. But, yeah, Scott Foster, him and uh, Chris Paul have been going at it. People talk about how bad NFL NBA officials are. Go back to Tim Montgomery and, and the scandal with him, and they talk about how, how corrupt NBA officials are. They're convinced. NBA fans are convinced NBA officials are the worst. Go to the EPL right now with how they're handling VAR and everything. That sport... Those fans in England think it's it's 100% obvious that the Premier League officials are the worst officials in the world. So every sport <laughs> thinks their officials are the worst in the world, yeah. but I think they all have something in common. They're not using technology efficiently,
0: yes, and they're not upholding consistent standards. And uh, it's played a big factor into some of the uh, angst from players in the NHL, especially with these hits from behind. I think it should be... I don't know. It should be black and white. Like you hit a guy in the numbers in a vulnerable era area and it should be like, I'd, I'd give the guy five games. You know, I know not every hit is the same and, and maybe there should be a little bit of a gray area, but you know, if you call that consistently, then all of a sudden um, there's less of these types of reaction where the player feels like they've got to take it into their own hands. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah, Kirk McClain coming up here in just a little bit, but um I wanted to touch on Elias Pettersson mm-hmm. and Nils Hoglander because we talked about it in in the Monday menu, and you wanted to get a thought in on Nils Hoaglander. Uh, yeah, I mean, I wasn't
2: going to criticize him or anything. I oh, know some, some people think I I always criticize. Uh, well, I put Carter. him on the
0: menu, and you seem to have no, no. Uh, you went
2: by fast. i mean, I thought maybe you were afraid I was going to criticize, uh, <laughs> you know, Nils Hoglander or something. No, I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna criticize uh, Nils Hoglander. I was gonna say about Nils Hoglander that he's done a terrific job with this opportunity. Yeah, right. And more than anything else, like he's doing the details right now. You know, we can talk about the goals, and he's on a heater. You know, and, hey, we talked about Kuzmenko last year. Right now, Niels Hogner's his shooting percentage. Like everything is going in for him. He's not going to continue scoring goals at this pace; it will dry down. But if he's doing the things he's been doing, if he keeps doing those things, getting in on the forecheck effectively, good puck management decisions, good line changes, being in the right spot defensively, and you're playing with speed, you're forechecking, winning battles. I have all the time in the world for him. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what I've been most impressed by. And like the coach said, can you maintain that? Can that be a consistent part of you? I was also kinda gonna make a joke that he's playing, he's on the menu. Is he on the menu only for Vancouver or elsewhere with how he's played? You hear Jalen Chatfield. We know Carolina's a team that likes players like Niels Hoaglander and, and, yeah. and things like that. I think last year there was some thought that perhaps they were asking for Niels Hoaglander when the Canucks were talking to Carolina about Ethan Bear. Yeah. So, I mean, they may be a team that likes him, for instance. Jalen Chatfield, we've heard. So I was going to make a joke about he's, he's on the menu to Carolina for Jalen Chatfield, but that's just a joke. <laughs> I don't think that's good enough value. I don't think that's a smart move to make for a 27-year-old UFA-to-be who's a third-pair defenseman, yes. even though he's right-handed. Yes. He was a former Vancouver Canuck. Yes. But I, the- just, I just wonder how his fit is here long-term. And we talk about selling high on guys. Is, is that a possibility with Niels Hoglander, Or are they at a point with what he's doing with his details, Dan— That they think he can be a solution. Because there's no better solution than Kuzmenko getting going for Pedersen. And there's no better solution, long term and medium term and short term, that your other answer in your top six is a guy currently in your lineup making 1.1 million this year and making 1.1 million next season. And that's Neil's Hoaglander. These are the two best solutions. Like, we can talk about trade all we want and it's fun and, and exciting and the possibilities, but that's the best thing that can happen. So I just wonder with Hoaglander are they convinced that they buy in? Or do they view it as he's an asset for us to use at some point?
0: Hard not to like what he's doing right now, but it is, uh, as uh, the kids say, a small sample size (laughs) to this point. There's always been a good toolkit for Nils Hoglander. It's more about putting it all together. And right now, playing the way that he's playing, doing the details as you say, you like to see that it fits there. Because there's a higher offensive upside with that player than there is and it pains me to say this, Phil DiGiuseppe, and I know that. (laughs) Clearly. And I know that, but prior to that, you know, DiGiuseppe was just showing to be the best fit on that spot because of how well he did some of those details, how he cycled the puck, how he won the puck on the forecheck, and did some of those things, but now that Hoaglander is taking that spot, and he's got a little bit more offensive upside with his playmaking and the way that he's scoring right now, you'll take that. But, again, shooting 27% or just under 27% so far this year. So the goals might dry up, but if he keeps playing like this, coach is going to like a lot of what he's doing on that line. Now, Pedersen is going and had an unreal game. I'm glad the, the coach sort of pointed out his factor on the JT Miller goal because he makes a great read in the offensive zone. yeah. Uh, so he, he steals the rim around that uh, Carolina tried to use to get a breakout going. Mm-hmm. And then instead, he reads that, is able to pick it off, and then he gets the cycle going before going off for the change. And, and he Miller, hustles off yeah, the change. Yeah, and Miller comes on and scores the the goal. So, you know, it, he deserved another assist on Saturday is, is all I wanted to say. And we all knew Pedersen was going to come out of it at some point. Um, even with the questions that I raised last week. <laughs> but, um, you know, when he's like that, it makes this, like, you see how much higher the upside is overall mm-hmm. of the team when Patterson is playing like he was on Saturday. A hundred percent. and But also the
2: details, like James in Qualic and Qualican Beach says, seeing the coach tell Petey he deserved an assist on the Miller goal you just mentioned was so great. He pointed that out. It's truly about the details. It truly is. Like, he doesn't. Make that decision to drop that puck in, and if he doesn't hustle off for a line change, yeah, the timing's off on that change to begin with. Jt's never getting that chance, and again, we're talking about a split second. We see what doing things effectively and efficiently and properly can do for you. It creates yeah. opportunities, right? And you can catch teams off guard. And I think it's interesting the coach mentioning that one of the, one of the pen, you know issues in the NHL right now is teams have poor line changes. You know, it's one of the bigger challenges coaches have to ensure their players aren't taking that extra chance at the end, right? Yeah. Because you have so many factors. You have, hey, a player who's very talented, also has an ego feeling like, hey, I can do something here. You have contracts, you have expectations, you have all these pressures around players. So it's really hard for a player to be like, you know what? I'm not going to take this opportunity that I could see here at the end of my shift because that goal can be meaningful for me, right? And I need to do this right now. So to get people to buy in and do, you know, be selfless, so to speak, is a very hard thing to do. And you see the effects of it, however, if you get players to do so.
0: Sam Lafferty, three goals, two assists in five games uh, in his last five, well, four, really. And is fitting really well with Elias Petterson. So, I mean, is this a solution? With Pedersen, is there a fit here just with what Lafferty brings traits wise as a player being very direct, having a lot of speed, having a little bit of power, and being a player that you know, like nobody would have pegged Pascal Dupuis to be a guy that fit well with Sidney Crosby, but how well did he fit with Sidney Crosby? Right? So, (laughs) are you saying that Sam Lafferty's Pascal (laughs) Dupuis? I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm just saying, wow. Um, my point is, you no, know. No, I mean
2: this might be actually really good. Like I'm I'm really intrigued by this uh, It doesn't it doesn't right
0: have to be the most <laughs> obvious fit next to Elias Peterson all the time like Andre Kuzmenko would be.
2: Well and, and here's a real fascinating part Pascal Dupuis, 6'1, 205 pounds, right-handed left winger who could take some face offs when need be.
0: <laughs> so
2: <laughs> and who was, who was yeah. Uh, a player that exploded playing next to Sidney Crosby. Now, he did have a a 20-goal season before coming to Pittsburgh at one point, um, before he kind of went off in the past. So he had shown some level of promise. But you can also make the point that the last couple years, in short, smaller samples, Sam Lafferty also showed some offensive pop. That's why he got an extension. That's why the price was what it was to acquire Jake McCabe and Sam Lafferty last year at the deadline for the Toronto Maple Leafs, right? So he's a guy that has some value and has a little bit of, you know, consistency. And to me, people wondered, can he be the next, um, for instance... Uh, sorry, Alex Burrows, And I was right. like, yeah, it's asking too much. guy who scored th- over 30 goals, you know what I mean? Like, it's just one of those things, like he's not going to be Alex Burrows, But Dupuy's more of a guy that even with Crosby, he had one year, he had uh, 59 points. The rest was kind of like 38 and 48, obviously a lot. But, you know, kind of what you're seeing now from what Lafferty can bring, right? Yeah. So could he be that? I'm intrigued by it. I'd like to see a bit more uh, uh, time to see if that can actually be it or not. But he, he's certainly a player that can play up your, up and down your lineup yeah. and play so many key
0: roles for you. Like He's he's almost the perfect super util, utility player. Yeah. If you could sign Sam Lafferty to a two-year, $3 million deal right now, so one and a half AAV, would you do it?
2: I would, in a heartbeat. Yeah. But is he giving you that? Can he make more on the open market? With the way that
0: he's playing, he's better to just keep seeing how this plays out.
2: We've talked about the scarcity with right-handed centermen. Yeah. Yeah. Who can win some faceoffs? That's something he can do. Yeah. At an okay level, right? He can play center. He's physical. He can fight. He throws hits. He can play he can PK. He can even play in your second unit power play a little bit. Has a little bit of scoring pop. Can play yeah. up and down your lineup. Like he can do almost everything for you in, in a limited role, right? Those players are hard to find. Mm-hmm. You know, like
0: it, it's he so it would be selling himself a little bit short to take a contract like that, especially with the the goal I scoring so. heater that he's on to start this. Season. I
2: think so. Yeah. Um now, I hope for Vancouver's case, <laughs> they can get him for something like that. Yeah. But I mean, he's a guy that if I'm his agent, I, I want to get him to the market. And I think that some team may look at him and say, you know, can he be Brandon Tanev type? Can he be a team right. that like you know maybe two and a half million for four years? Can he get ten million or twelve like comp million? Deal, yeah. yeah, something like that. You know what I mean? Like so, that's what I wonder about him ultimately, and whether that makes sense in Vancouver or not. But the way he's playing right now, he's been tremendous.
0: Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. Uh, we'll get to uh, more of your Canucks questions on the Dunbar Lumber text, ma- text message inbox in just a little bit. But joining us now on the program it is Kirk McLean, team ambassador for your Vancouver Canucks. As you know, great goaltender of years past uh thanks for doing this kirk how are you
3: i'm awesome how are you guys
0: hey we're doing uh we're doing pretty well uh we've got a couple of things to touch uh, touch base with you on today but uh just yeah. just kind of kicking it off um quite the start to the season for the team hasn't it been
3: well it's been outstanding um i think a lot of a lot of people have been uh, wondering when it's uh it's gonna halt if you will but uh I tell you what, you know, they came out prepared from from, uh, from day one, and um, it, it's fun to watch, I must say. Um, you know, the attitude on the team and around the team, uh, you can see that they're playing for each other. Um, Rick and his coaching staff certainly has structure in play. They have their moments, but they sort it out. They seem to sort it out, and, and at the end of the day, they're getting Ws. I mean, um, you know, they've been criticized or, or talked about that they're only beating teams that are under 500 uh, but they're still winning. You got to win those games. You got to play them. You got to win them, and and uh, they're doing it in style.
2: And they also have the hallmarks of all the great Canucks teams of the past, included the ones yeah. that you were on in the '90s, and that is great goaltending. Hey,
3: yeah. Well, that's where it starts, right? I mean, um, t- teams have always been built from the go- goaltender out. Uh, if if you can't keep it out of your net, then you're not going to win too many games. Uh, and they certainly, uh, you know, have, have uh, put together. A nice tandem again this year with uh, uh, Thatch and uh, uh, DeSmith. And, um, you know, Thatcher's on top of his game. And and when Casey comes in, he he just does a wonderful job. He's very, very poised in there. And, you know, I've always liked him, um, you know, watching him in the the past years. And he's certainly come in and and fit right in and, and done a wonderful job.
0: Kirk McLean, Canucks ambassador joining us uh, here on Canucks Central. So we we see the uh, Next Gen on the on the helmets for the Canucks players in game yeah. and it feels like that's really a, a two-way partnership. You were recently on a community visit in November with them uh, with NextGen. Now what what did that entail?
3: Well, it was a uh, it was a, a real fun uh trip. Uh you know, there was a, you know, Finn was up there with us and and uh Charlene, uh Charlene labonte you know four time gold medalist uh, gold tender to boot, um and we just uh, did a bunch of clinics with the, with the local local kids and you know both uh, uh first nations and and uh and in uh, the community as well and and really uh saw what next gen does for that community up in Malasha uh, and and Buffalo Narrows they're certainly in in touch and uh you know doing what they can to to uh, include the community since their their mind is uh or their mine is uh well, approximately a couple hours north of of both those towns so um it was very impressive and and uh, we had a chance to like i said get out and do a uh, a few forty five minute clinics uh in a row probably about i don't know two three hours worth each day uh, of uh you know skating with the kids and having a little bit of fun.
2: And how important is it to have those youth mentorship programs uh, that included what you guys were doing?
3: Well, it's it's huge. I, I think uh, you know a lot of those communities uh, in the northern parts of Canada, no matter what province it is, uh, kind of get lost in the shuffle and and forgotten about. And and uh, anytime we can uh, be a part of it and, and get into these communities uh, um, and. Uh, you know get out there and, and, and help out in any way whether it be on the ice or or anywhere in the schools or whatever it may be uh, it certainly is important and and uh, you know a company like uh, nextgen um, you know with their with their youth mentorship program that they have uh, it, it makes it worthwhile and and uh, it, it, it shows volumes about what uh, nextgen's about and and how they can uh, you know certainly um work with the communities around them and and include them in what they're doing.
0: And there's going to be a group of uh, of children from this youth mentorship program that's coming out to Vancouver to see a little bit of a behind-the-scenes look at what it's like to be a Canuck as well?
3: Yeah, I think it's the second annual, I believe it is, and they did it – uh, near the end of last year. So this year's, uh, you know, kicking off uh, with a good start. But, yeah, they'll, they're coming in uh, prior to the, the game, uh, probably um, maybe when, uh, tomorrow night or tonight uh, um, for the game on, on the 12th. And, and uh, they'll be able to go behind the scenes and, and skate out on uh, Rogers Arena. We'll probably we'll, – well, not probably. We are going to do another little, little skating clinic out there. And then um, they'll be – uh, locker room visits and meet and greets with players and coaches, staff, and and, uh, and of course uh, they'll be staying for the game uh, up in one of the um, the private boxes. So it's a it's a big it's a big event for uh, the kids and next gen, and of course uh, you know the partnership with the Canucks and um, putting smiles on these kids' face. A lot of these kids yeah. uh, have never left their their hometown and uh, let alone be on an airplane or anything like that. So um, I'm sure they're pretty excited.
2: Well, as you know, because you've encountered, uh, you know, so, so many of these uh, kids in these smaller remote communities and, yeah. you know, h- how much this inspiration can help out. And, you know, sometimes it is just a moment of inspiration that can help somebody in a situation like that experience something new and, and perhaps set their sights set on something greater down the road.
3: Uh, absolutely. And, you know, we, we got a little bit of feel of that uh, when we were there and, you uh, You know, each evening there was, um, after the the skating sessions, there was kind of a a potluck kind of dinner or or get-together, and and we got to meet some of these kids. uh, And, uh, you know, it was really cool to to sit and talk to, to them and, of course, to the elders that were... We're sitting beside us as well, and and uh, really getting to know uh, the community and, and what the community's all about. And um, you know, I'm excited for them. Let alone those guys being excited coming here. I, I think it's just a wonderful thing. And, and you're right; it does it does build confidence for for these kids. And and uh, you know, to have uh, next gen and and principals and elders uh, handpick these kids that are coming down, it's it's got to be exciting for them.
0: Uh, Kirk, before we let you go, it's uh, it's going to be a big week at Rogers Arena. Not only this event with Next Gen, but uh, Thursday, Roberto Luongo uh, joining joining you up in the Ring of Honor. It should be uh, should be pretty cool, hey?
3: Uh, it really will be. You know, he's obviously had a wonderful career, and and uh, he's a Hall of Famer now. And um, you know, he's his shirt's retired in 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 Florida, and now he gets to to be up on the Ring Honor with uh, with uh, a few of us up there that are up there already. So it's going to be a wonderful night. Uh, you know, he did some awesome things for this city, and, and I'm looking forward to it. I think that, that people are, are buzzing in town already waiting for it to happen.
0: 100%. Uh, Kirk, really appreciate your time. Thanks for this.
3: Uh, my pleasure. Thanks, guys.
0: There is Kirk McLean, legendary Canucks goaltender, joining us here. On Canuck Central. This hour of Canuck Central brought to you by Brivo. Brivo provides convenient cloud based access control systems from your mobile device for any industry. Go to lpbrivocom Canada for a smart demonstration. More to come on Canuck Central.